So hi everyone, welcome to Architecture in the Den and today I'm delighted to welcome uh, Grant Erskine. So I've known Grant for a good 10 years and it's been really good to have a proper chat with you on entrepreneurship. So in the first instance, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, um, so I'm Grant, I'm the, the founder, principal, chartered architect of Grant Erskine Architects. I put a lot of thought into the name of the company. <laughs> We're based here in Manchester. Um, our projects are sort of, well, nationwide really, but we always say the job's gotta be big enough to attract us. Um, probably we're better known for working with investors. It seems to be sort of a, a bit of a niche that we've carved out, it makes up about 80% of our work. Um, but yeah, I've been in sort of the, the architecture game for coming up on 22 years now. Mm -hmm. Considering I'm only 40, I'm not 50. A lot of people look at me and go, God, he must be really old. I'm not that old, but uh, yeah, I started young. <laughs> I won't mention how old I am. Needless to say, over the week, oh, funny story. Uh, over the weekend, not, not related to architecture at all. Over the weekend, I was in the newspaper. I was in the Saturday Telegraph with my son. Yes, yeah, so. Um, and um, my mother-in-law um, sort of called me up and said that there'd been a misprint on my age. <laughs> a good one or a bad one? Me and my husband had been kind of uh, leading her on a little bit, saying that I was 10 years younger than I am. <laughs> and she was like, Lisa, it says here you're 49. Is it true? I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> really fun. We we avoided um <laughs> I guessing over Christmas because she thought it was my big birth in my 40th coming up. I was like, no, actually it's my big birthdays next year. <laughs> anyway, what's an age? It's just a number. So um yeah, but we both set up around the same time. I set up Rain's Architecture and you set up Grand Erskine Architects. Yeah, because yeah, we, we both got caught in the redundancies of the uh, financial crash. Yeah, yeah. I've been very lucky. I, I dodged three waves of redundancy. Mm -hmm. I mean, with, with BDP, they, they were quite resilient in the first year or two, so they didn't see it. And then it was just, it was a carnage, unfortunately. Um, you know what, when it was, what, when, what sort of date? Me? Um, it was October 2010. Yeah, that is pretty much same as me. Yeah. So for me, I um, I took a year maternity mm. and thought I'd kind of, it'll settle down by the time, you know, I thought, have a child, be off for a, a year, came back, mm -mm. no, didn't dodge it. It was still going on. So yeah, yeah. They, they lost me. And yeah, around exactly the same time, October, 2010 I think it was I think I won my first job in November was about so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we met at the on the uh, MSA circuit the Manchester Society of Architects yeah, so that's the I, I literally I went from um working in a an office with 250 odd people at, in, in Manchester in, in I think 220 230 whatever it was somewhere around them yeah. to literally sitting in the back bedroom of my house on my own for weeks on end so yeah. MSA was a bit of a bit of a godsend for me in the early days to just talk to people and to, to get out and meet people because it's it's it can be 
can be quite hard on your own, you know. And it was really the start of networking. I mean, I, I, we were at, uh, I was at the solo practitioners group and then kind of had a seat on the MSA from that, the Manchester Society of Architects. So I could like dip in and out and try and avoid as much of the politics as possible. Yeah, I think that's just with everything. Put a group of people together in anywhere, whether it's church or whether it's a society or whether it's a sports club. And there's always well, politics and bickering. That's, that's just I think, human nature to an extent. So coming back to the subject of the podcast, we're both architects, but I would say that we're both entrepreneurs. Um, I'd like to see myself as an entrepreneur and definitely see you as an entrepreneur, Grant. So in a nutshell, what is an entrepreneur? Uh, that, that's, that's a hard one. It's an interesting one. Um, I, I suppose in, 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 its, in its purest form, an entrepreneur is responsible for making their own living, bringing in their own money. Um, I think it's funny because I, I, I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. I listen to a lot of Gary V. And Sorry, who? Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. He's like a business speaker from um, New York. And oh, okay. a really hard-hitting and he's, 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 he pulls no punches. Um, and he hates the word entrepreneur. He says he never wanted to be one, even though he's, he's a famous entrepreneur. Because in his mind, an entrepreneur was a guy selling stuff out of a suitcase on the side of a, a road sort of thing. And he wanted yeah. to be a businessman, not an entrepreneur. And it's, it's an interesting idea because God, every man and his dog seems to be an entrepreneur these days. And it mm -hmm in a way become a bit of a solid name mm. i suppose in, it, it's somebody who is responsible for their own income i suppose is in, in, in its purest form you know they, they don't know where the next paycheck's coming from i would say is probably the the easiest definition what would you think what would you say is oh i don't know i think it's kind of maybe something a little bit beyond that maybe i think it might be about kind of establishing your business but maybe it's about growth and kind of including other people in that plan yeah, you know, I, I think it's about creating a business that maybe doesn't just support you. Yeah. Um, um, it's interesting what you say because that, that that's you meet a lot of people who are self-employed, hmm. are themselves being an entrepreneur, but ultimately they're I don't really are they an entrepreneur. I don't know that they're, they're self-employed, um, and I suppose it is somebody, as you say, who creates something that is more than them doing a job on a freelance basis. Suppose it's something mm. a business, as you say, it's, it's, mm. um, but, uh, we could talk about it all day. It's mm. I mean, it's sort of in terms of what you've done, I've, and I think maybe it's about taking chances, what you've done, um, you know, sort of like, first of all, with your architectural business, but then also with your biz expos and your property investor stuff. I, you know, I'd see those as kind of like entrepreneurial kind of jumps. Yeah. So uh, do you want to just um, uh, give sure. a little ground to those little stories? Yeah, so I suppose I, I've, owned, I've owned a handful of different businesses. It's not too hard to find out. And I currently do have a couple of different businesses um, at my heart. I'm an architect, I'm an architect's practice. Um, probably the most successful one, uh, I owned a, an events company for about four or five years. Um, I, I, I never set out to, to own an events company. I actually mm -hmm. ran a, a PR stunt for the architect's firm. Mm -hmm. and, and the idea being that I was quite aware that business owners were a good client for me for mm -hmm. one of two reasons, either 
they had made their money and they wanted to build a, a nice house for themselves. Or, or more importantly, um, most business owners do the same thing, which I'm sure you've done, I know I've done, where you spend a long time building your business, mm-hmm. thinking about your exit, you're not really thinking about your pension, you're not really thinking about putting money away. And then as your business starts to, to, to grow, you've got a little bit of cash and you start thinking about, okay, well, how do I spend this cash to, to, to be comfortable in, in the... And some people invest in stocks and shares, some people invest in gold, most people invest in property because mm-hmm. it's a good solid asset. So it just made a lot of sense to me to get a room full of business owners and try and sell them services. So I, I ran a, a little event, I inadvertently ran one of the, the, the biggest events of its type at the, at the time. Um, I think we brought about 500 odd business owners to it. And I, I, I won a few jobs. That was the main goal. I won a few jobs out of it. And over the next couple of months, people started to ring me and say, we heard about the people who weren't even there were ringing. We heard about your event. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we want to be involved. And they started offering me money. And I, thought, and I kept saying, I'm never doing it again. It was a one-off. <laughs> it was a lot of work. Like, a lot of people think it was easy. It was a lot mm-hmm. of work. Yeah. And then out of frustration, I went, right, fine, I'll do one more. Um, I'll hire the Hilton Hotel. And we'll, we'll have a, um, a one more final dance, if so to speak. And I brought 1,200 business owners to it. People had come from all across the, the, the north and beyond. And um, then somebody said to me at that event, you'll have to do another one. And I went, right, okay, well, maybe we'll do this once a year. You know, it wasn't, I, I, I'd learned a lot in the first one, second one wasn't too hard. Then people started saying, well, you need to bring this to, to our city because nobody, nobody does it like you're doing it. You know, because it, it was targeted at the SME. It wasn't your big sort of GMAX, £10,000 a stand type stuff. It was very achievable for, for, for everybody to, to, to attend. Um, and at its peak, I had eight of the, I had an event in eight cities. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, when you don't know what you don't know, I, I had to pay a bloody tax man, but I, you know, I carved it off, took it out of the architect's firm, built it as its own business, had its own sort of management structure. And it always niggled me that I had to pay tax, even though no money changed hands, because I was the, the director shareholder of both companies, but because mm-hmm. I took asset out and it's always learning. This is that's what this game is. It's always learning stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I sold it uh, about three years ago, two something like that. Um, and uh, and yeah, I've, I've always had that sort of. Well, I wouldn't say always, but since setting up my architects firm, I suppose in a way I've always had um, a bit of a ability to take ch- a confidence to take chances. Mm-hmm. So like um. I, I owned for, for about 18 months uh, an LGBT um, speed dating company, uh, which, which <laughs> came from a conversation with a friend. Um, uh, a mate of mine, he, he couldn't find uh, a partner, couldn't find a fellow. And I said, well, sure, it must be easy. Like, he said he was sick of the, the, the club scene. He was sick of anger. He was sick of the hookup scene. He couldn't, and he, he actually wanted to go on a date. He was really struggling to find. Surely it couldn't be that hard to, to create that. Yeah, yeah I, I had uh, a speed dating company in Liverpool, Manchester and Leeds for, for about a year as well. Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> That's a definitely good, good, yeah. good little business, actually. Um, yeah. it, it just didn't make enough to keep me interested. Yeah. Um, yeah. It didn't scale. It needed too much of my time. Um, yeah. So uh, just, uh, just, yeah, fizzled. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And... Um, you're now looking at the, you've got property. Yeah, so we're, I'm, I'm in that game. I'm in that game. Yeah. I also have yeah. a training company. Um, yeah. we've, we've made dormant for 
um, since COVID. It, right. Okay. Didn't really work in, in, in the COVID. We just mm. tried to take it. We didn't want to take it into digital. Um, yeah. And so that's been made dormant. Um, but yeah, we. I've got a. Yeah. I like problem solving. I suppose. <laughs> business is problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, maybe we should have a chat offline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I suppose I and I've gone down the uh, franchise route as well. So, um, but it, so it is. A, it, it is about taking risk and chance, um, yeah. and well, for me, persistence and a lot of hard work. <laughs> yeah, always. It's never, never anybody. Anybody who says it's easy is, is kidding themselves. It's not. It's yeah. Not. No. 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 I know. I know. So yeah, for me, with Pride Road, it's kind of like I've got. You know, I'm running it. I'm kind of um, well. The driving force. There's only one re one person who can drive these things forward, and it's and it's you, really. So that, that's what I always say, though. Um, and look, you know, when when I worked on my own, I worked yeah. all the hours that were sucked. When I started hiring staff, I still worked all the hours that sucked, and, and I'm, I'm blessed to have good colleagues with me. Yeah. But there is a difference between the motivation of a an employee and an employer there's a whole fear difference aspect there's a whole emotion aspect to it it's just a different game um and and the yeah the, the stress the risk the sleeplessness the the fear i suppose that's the the the, the downside to the it is your driver as well it gets you up in the morning and gets you on it i know i've kind of been doing a bit of an eight 12 hour day today but uh, yeah i've been on clubhouse this morning the, yeah i've got a room uh, so a little bit of a plug um if you're on clubhouse come and find us i've got a club called um constructive together it's about construction networking across the uk so that's every morning 8 a.m uh, sorry every monday not every morning 8 a.m to, to 9 a.m consistently and it's a challenge running it around children and school runs but you know you've just got to go for it and be persistent so coming back to the topic what's the biggest mistake you made when you started your practice um i suppose in a way it was assuming that work would find me mm -hmm. uh, i think that was the the, the the biggest learning curve i suppose um because i i had good pedigree um, I, I, you know, five years at BDP, I had five years at a, at, a, at a major house builder prior to that, I'd been at Manchester. You know, I, I ticked a lot of boxes um, as an employee, um, but and I, and I sort of remember sitting and going, why are people not banging down the door? <laughs> why are they not flocking up the streets? You know, I'm, I've got all this experience and all this knowledge and everything else. And <clears throat> in, in a way, I suppose it was underestimating the importance of understanding how you attract work. You know that that's that's your lifeline. Doesn't really matter how good an architect you are, or in any other business, doesn't matter how good you are at doing it. You need to get good at building business, at attracting work, or or finding a a referral stream or a um, a lead generation stream, which mm -hmm. is work to you because you can be the best in the room, but if you've got nothing to to do, you're, still, you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what was your first um, kind of referral kind of stream? My first referral, so in, in the early days, um, this is like sort of 2010, there was nothing around. There was literally, no, nobody was really doing anything. So I scratched around 
offering part services, I suppose, um, stuff that other architects didn't want to do, um, and just everything and anything problem solving in a lot of cases. So like mm. one of my first decent paying jobs was actually preparing, uh, it was an apartment scheme here in the Northern Quarter, um, preparing the sales plans, the, the, the title plans. So it had nothing to do with the design construction and us, but they, they, I just had an introduction to the, the client um, through the solicitor and they were really struggling getting the, the title plans done. And the irony was that I had started at the age of 18 in an architect's firm and that was my first job was preparing <laughs> plans or transfer plans. And, you know, and, and I suppose, it was probably about six months in where I started to really hit the networking hard. Um, I know you did BNI, I did BNI. Um, I also, I did everything. I went to the open envelope. So B for B, BNI for networking, simply networking, all of the independence. You know, I, I was constantly networking all mm. the time. Um, and, I, and, and even then I wasn't a natural networker. I had to go and learn that skill, which is one of the big things that one of the big benefits that I've I found with BNI is that their training was very, very good. They, they mm, training is very good at BNI. Yeah, so even even if you weren't getting the referrals from BNI, the, the, the training aspect of teaching you how to talk to people, how to engage with people, mm. give you the confidence to go into a room full of people and just just talk, you know, because mm. it's a really hard thing to do. And it, for me, it was all learned skills. It wasn't something that came naturally to me. Um so yeah, I think. Probably that's that's well. I built my business in the early days off the back of BNI. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. And um, so I, I, we're we're quite good at um, referring work to each other. I think um, I think a, a mistake other people tend to make when they go into networking groups is that they don't talk to other architects mm. in the groups. Whereas if you you know talk to another architect and you, where you've got that synergy. Because uh, where you overlap, I've got stuff that I do that you don't do, and vice versa. Yeah. We've, we've, we've passed a, a couple of clients over to each other today, actually, <laughs> and it works brilliantly. I think architects are quite are quite precious about that. You know, mm. they, they, they they don't want to. It's a bit of a bit of a nonsense in a way, but I, I suppose it's it's just how a lot of us are wired that we we we. we they, they struggle to pass it around and, and recommend people and stuff. And and and, I, and in the early days, I was, I suppose, quite similar. And it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe I became a bit more comfortable within myself or I became a bit more confident in my, in my you know, in the big thing, I'm sure you've heard the phrase imposter syndrome. And I think a lot of us in the early days do suffer from it. Um, but in, in my mind, I, I'm always trying to pull architects up. I'm always trying to promote architects, even if it's not me. I always say, well, even if you're not using me, use an architect. You know, it, mm. it, it's 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 a it's it's it will make your life so much easier. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a massive advocate in, in trying to help other architects and pull other architects up and refer. You, you had a really good um, kind of advertising campaign where it was like, what was it, Maestro and not Maestro. <laughs> I love those. They were brilliant. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, yeah. I really enjoyed them. There was, go on, John, to just explain that campaign. I think that's, that's still around. So that was, that was turned out as a bit of a, it's almost like a tongue-in-cheek joke. I can't even remember where it came from, but um, we were quiet in the office uh, and that's way back I think that was in the days when it was just me and a part one and um, we started just creating a whole load of like in fact no I've cleared them out um, <laughs> a 
business cards. We used to leave little business cards and they'd be maestro, not maestro. And we'd do things like, um, oh, like a picture of a, a really grand Christmas tree, like a, a photo of a real grand Christmas tree. And then another photo of um, like a little air freshener Christmas tree just hung on a wall with a present. And they'd say, you know, maestro, not maestro, using architect. And we just, you know, really quite just fun, punchy. And you know, we I did thought a- it was brilliant. I really did. Might still be a website on on a, I think we we hosted it on a on a, on a blog site somewhere. It still might be around. Um, <laughs> it's just well, always. I think you need to find it, and then we'll put it onto the uh, onto the um, bio on these podcasts. <laughs> it was just, again, it was just another. It was me trying another marketing approach. Um, I think uh, was it about a year in. Uh, um, I joined the entrepreneur circle. Mm. Uh, that's sort of where I started to learn a lot about um, marketing strategy and, and, and growth strategy and, and sort of networking strategy, I suppose. And I think I used to just test stuff all the time and try stuff all the time, mm-hmm. how it landed. Um, yeah. I think I did the entrepreneur circle as well. We really did follow each other. <laughs> I, I did it for two months. <laughs> I got the free book and a couple of sessions and I left. But I, at the end of it, I thought, you know, for me, it was like, oh, franchising, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was very, um, it's funny. I don't really recommend it. Now. I don't know it now, but I don't really recommend it now because it sort of it changed its way. Mm. Uh, but back then, it, they pretty much said that we're going to just teach you how to attract clients. Mm-hmm. It made a massive difference to, to, to how I approached my business um, and how I understood, I suppose, even just how to speak to people and, and how to engage with people and how to attract people and get out of the noise that everybody else is making. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think the architecture in this uh, training education equipped us for all of this? No. But I, I remember having this discussion. It was, it was in an MSA event. How many architects go on to own their own business or run their own business or you know be the the the, point, the, the edge of the point? Um, and it's, it's probably not that high. Um, so when you think about the the the, the law of averages, um, the universities just teach you enough to achieve what they want to achieve. Um, and then also when you think about it, a university, the the the, the difference between a cap the academic and the profession is is huge. It's miles apart, and I'm not I'm not running the academic down because I'm I'm a big fan of it. Um, it, it certainly changed how I think about stuff and, and made me a, a problem solver. But mm-hmm. then it's certainly not a, a professional course, in my opinion. It's not setting you up to go into a profession. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, even when you think about it, because my my wife my wife studied law, so is a solicitor. Um, and how they're trained and, and how they understand their business from, from quite early in their academic career, mm. hugely different to how we're trained and how we understand. We, we don't understand our business. Mm. Mm. It's not until you get to the part three that you really start to talk about the business, the, the yeah. business profession. I know, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's when you go in, I think I remember my, yeah, my aha moment, I think was going into do my second year experience and then you're starting to listen out because you you know that it's got a count and you're going to be tested on it how does this work how does this work in fact in my part yeah in my part three experience was the first time I kind of understood the difference between cost and value yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. We had um, uh, Nick Johnson, who was at uh, in Simpsons, Simpsons, Simpson Huff, and uh, Nick Johnson had some space in the office below with Martin Stockley. And, um, you know, whenever, as soon as we'd done a scheme or, you know, we'd, we'd run it past Nick to look at the value of it. Mm -hmm. um, so when we were master planning something, we'd just run down and go, you know, Nick, would this work? Does this stack up? And he'd do some numbers and, you yeah. know, yes, no, you need more of this. And it was Nick that I think explained the difference <laughs> between cost and value. I was like, how ridiculous is that? Seven years, six years of architecture studying it, it was actually it was something that it was, it was a bdp i remember sitting in, in a team and the the associate director um a guy called ian purser um he pretty much said we're stopping put down pens we're stopping there's no more money left in this and i was i was amazed i was gobsmacked at this this uh, this idea because at university you work till it's done and even if it's done you keep working you you know every, <laughs> where every student is always you know the all-nighter the last minute that they're mm -hmm polishing and that's how we're trained mm. it's the most uncorporate incorporate stupid idea and it's something that i i i i now try to well i have since seven business i say look this is going to take x amount of hours mm -hmm. and with my colleagues i say look i want them to take that amount of hours if it takes longer let me know because i know i'm not pricing the job right or i'm not considering mm -hmm. but having that that sort of that i don't want you working long hours i don't want you polishing mm -hmm refining at this you know we, we we need to understand that it's it's a business it's it's a profession and it's it's not a it's not a vocation um and it's not don't get me wrong, and i'm not saying it's, it's still a passion mm -hmm. but we need to be professional about it um and i think there's a lot of times we get a little um a little we we go back to the old ways of a university where we're we're enjoying what we're doing but we're realizing that we're spending three days putting shadows on a drawing without getting you know without getting design freeze or something and then the client comes back and changes something and then we're changing it again and it's sort of you know it's 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 little steps in the process that makes us makes it difference between being something for fun or something for a hobby or something for academia and being a, a business and, and something that you make a living out of and you you know have a career in so we've had a question in. Um, so our listener has just set up their practice. They're about a year into it and they're struggling to get leads. So what would be your advice on where to target or best places to advertise or market? So the, 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 the short answer to that is, is where are your clients? That, that's the short answer. Um, and it's, it's very, very easy to say that from experience. But now that I've sort of <clears throat> like been there, um, I would sit and I would, and this is something like in the entrepreneurs told me, sit and write a list of your six best clients. And you start to look at, you actually write a profile of them, okay. what they do, where they are, what, are they, what is their life like, what paper do they read, what do they look like? What even the extent of what golf club they're playing or, or whatever it is, whatever you're chasing. And this this sounds sort of difficult, but once you start to, to refine who you want to give your message to, you can then start to refine your message for that person. And it's the other thing, if you cast a big net in a big lake, chances are you're not going to get a huge amount. But if you catch, if you if you cast a big net in a small lake, you suddenly got a lot more chance of getting a few fish out of it and and sort of but almost being laser focused 
Mm -hmm. I trialed this um, way, way early on. I sat and I wrote a really good email and I sent it to 20 people personalized that I wanted to speak to. Of those 20 people, only three of them came back to me. And it, was, it, was, it wasn't a whole sales pitch. I wasn't even selling. I was literally, I, was, I think the subject line was something like coffee, question mark. And then I opened with, hi, John. I didn't even know, I didn't know him personally, but I still pretended like I did. Mm. John, hi, Sarah. Hi, Mark. Hi, whatever. Um, I'd like to come and buy you a coffee and have a chat for half an hour. I want to learn more about what you do. Um, when can you fit me in? Something like that. I can't, something like that. And of the 20, I think 15 ignored me. And two or three said, may I come back to me in six months? And two or three gave me a shout. And I went and I had a coffee with them. And they were being very generous. And, and I went in and half an hour with them. But of that, I got one job. But that one job was, was a big job. It was a decent job. It was a repeat job as well. Mm -hmm. I'll give you the prime other example is I paid for yell.com, uh, premium listing on yell.com. And, and I'm a big fan of measuring stuff. I, every single job that I've ever had, I know exactly where it came from. Um, I know exactly how I got it. Um, I know if it's a repeat, I know it's new. I know how much it was worth. I can, I, I, I can cross-reference all of this information to know how much money we make from doing apartments, how much we do from new bills. You, know, you ask me any one thing, and I can tell you what percentage that is of, of our our, our turnover um, but yell.com had paid for it because I was shown on by the you'll get premium listing you'll be well known yada 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 in over a year after paying I think something like 900 pound we didn't get one single job out of it mm. um, and, and understanding that and sort of so looking back at where mm -hmm. your clients have come from and, and how you got, um, and measuring it that really will help inform that if there's stuff you're doing that's not bringing you work, you either have to reconsider how you're doing it or turn the volume down on it a bit. And if mm -hmm. the stuff you're doing is bringing you work, you turn the volume up on that and you, and you push harder at it. Um, that, that's brilliant. Um, so, uh, yeah, Sue Butcher, we had Sue Butcher on the podcast. Yes, we yeah. were talking about how to find clients. So if you just look <clears> back at um, our Architecture in the Den podcast with Sue Butcher, uh, that's really useful and um, yeah I'd be it'd be good to have a chat with you because in um, so with Pride Road we we just we're incredibly niche so we just do uh, residential extensions so we know exactly who our clients are um, and we know how to market to them so um, you know we have sort of clients coming to us because our our website reflects who the clients are. So the clients are just ho homeowners, lay clients. Um, so our, our website is just very smiley. We kind of lots of pictures of lifestyle pictures of, uh, of clients smiling. Um, and it works. It works really well. So um, well, it's, it's a, a, an exact, an, an mm -hmm. extreme opposite strategy that, that I use very successfully is I, I like to build communities mm -hmm. off yes. by um, I, th I think I told you, I, I have a Facebook group for property investors. Mm -hmm. It has 22,000 people in it. Um, because the content's good and because I, I work hard at maintaining it, ask me how many architects are in that group. How many architects are in that group? Um, <laughs> 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 and I think on that note, we need to end. So thank you so much, Grant, for coming on. It's been lovely talking to you again. 
And uh, yes, please, if you're interested in the subject, please do um, listen to uh, and subscribe to Architecture in the Den on YouTube or um, it's available on Spotify, Alexa, Google, uh, like, share, whatever. We've had uh, Ryan Willard on talking about the business of architecture, Sue Butcher, and many, many others. Um, and we do talk, we do focus on um, on the business of architecture because I think it's a bit of a dark art. <laughs> anyway, thanks again, Grant, and uh, take care.